thank you so much for tuning in to Northridge Church Podcast. We're so glad to have you a part of our weekly service. For more information, please visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your hearts as we dive into God's Word. Are we, are we streaming, Ty? Okay. So on the count of three, I want everybody to say, hey, Michael. Okay, because he is at home, and he, he told me his prayer was that he can come to church next Sunday. And uh, that's his only prayer right now. That's, that's as far as it goes. So if you can relate to that, I mean, that's, that's a, kind of a cool thing. He just reduced it down to just a simple, hey, I want to be at church. So on the count of three, uh, I want you all to stand up, turn around. What camera we're going to? All right, you all turn around and face, and then I want you to pan, and everybody say, hi, Michael, and then you start waving. Ready? One, two, three, go. All right, we love you, brother. We're going to see you next Sunday. We believe in God with you. Amen. Y'all going to pray for Michael to be here next Sunday, okay? Michael Neely, he's a brother, man, and I appreciate him. He's been through so, through so much. But you know what? I was thinking uh, as God laid this message on my heart, I, I believe with all of my heart that we've all been to these places in our life where we have become utterly hopeless, Where's, where we just, if God didn't show up, man, we were going to fall flat on our face. Have you ever been there before? I find myself there more times than not, quite frankly, but just to know that God is always showing up at the last hour sometimes, and I wonder why that is. And I think that maybe I'm a part of the reason that he's showing up at the last hour because how many of you know sometimes we wait until things get utterly hopeless and helpless and we're sliding down that proverbial rope like uh, Doug was talking about before we really cry out to him. Don't you know that's the truth tonight? That sometimes we wait till the last minute before we cry out to him when in fact I believe that's the first thing we ought to do. In fact, how many times have you heard this said? You tell somebody going through a rough time, I've said it. And I've said it, and I had to repent for that. But I've said this before. I said, you know what, man? All you can do is pray now. You ever heard that? You ever told somebody that that's losing a loved one? That is a wrong statement. Theologically, that's wrong. You know what? That ought to be the first thing we ought to be doing. That shouldn't be our last-ditch effort that now we can pray because we have failed at every turn of our life. You know what the Bible says? It says that we are to be anxious for nothing in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. You don't have to turn there. Just jot that down in your mind. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Watch this. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guide your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Listen to this. It is through our prayer, not through us being anxious, not through us worrying. The Bible says that he's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power loving of a sound mind. And I believe with all of my heart, worrying is something of the enemy. It is the uh, antithesis of faith. I believe that when we worry, we abort our faith. And I, I've said this many, many times, and I, I won't go back through that tonight, but, you know, we live by faith. We're justified by faith. We live from faith to faith. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. I mean, everything that we do without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. But yet we worry. We're anxious. How many times have you had a confrontation or something you know you had to go deal with? Maybe it was uh, uh, with, with a job situation. Maybe it was with a school. You had to go talk to a teacher or to the principal. Or, or maybe it was a, a relationship, a brother or sister you've had all against. And, and as you anticipate that meeting, you run through your mind a hundred times just how bad it's going to be. So much so that you start running categorically through the way it's going to unfold. And you say, well, I tell you what, if he says this, and then I'm going to say that. And, and when they say that, then I'm going to come back around with a left hook, and I'm going to say, Y'all know what I'm talking about? Please tell me I'm not the only one that does that. But then when you get there in that meeting and you say, well, I'll tell you what, I've just had just about enough. And they look at you with tears in the eyes and say, you know what, man, you're right. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you went through all of that angst and all that worry and all that sleepless nights. 
Matter of fact, if you want to look at why it is that you have, you're having sleepless nights, the best sedative, if you will, is having a peace in Christ that passes understanding. To be able to look, hear me, and I say this respectfully, because I think even in a room of this, this many people, that we've all been through some things, we've traveled down some roads we wish we had not traveled down, we probably across the way have hurt people, whether knowingly or unknowingly, but I think we were all the culprit, the perpetrator at some point in our time. But we carry that junk with us, and we look in the mirror, brushing our teeth or brushing our hair, whatever it is that you do, and you see the person looking back, and you really don't like the person that you see. You go and lie your head down at night, they go to bed, and got all this junk. Anybody else ever hear voices, or is it just me? You hear voices in your head? I'm hearing them right now, and it's really loud. The voices are the voices of the enemy, who is the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He is constantly accusing you and I. He's telling you you're worth nothing when, in fact, you're worth so much that a Savior, God in, the, in, in all of his splendor and glory, came to this earth and died for you. You're worth everything. Yet the enemy tells you you're worth nothing. The enemy's telling you that, that all this you did back there, he's bringing all these things up to remembrance, yet God has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Man, I could go on and on and on and on. And here's what I believe to be true. I believe that it's through those times that we forget what God has already done for us. I think it's in those times that we become utterly anxious and hopeless. And yet we pull ourselves further and further away from spiritual breakthrough. In fact, I believe that worry can be spoken well of in Matthew's gospel. Again, we're not going to turn there, so don't, don't even go through the verses there, Ashley, but I just want to, I don't want to read them all, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaking, he says, take no thought for, for what you will wear. How much time do we spend talking about what we're going to wear and how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that? And when, in fact, there's this, just us traveling to Jamaica, and, and we see Jeremy last week, and they don't worry about what they're going to wear. You know why? Because they only have one thing to wear. We are so spoiled and we're so just entrenched in this idea of all the choices. I mean, let's, let's be honest tonight. If we were to really just unfold uh, our, our closets and bring out the shoes and the outfits that we have, I mean, some of you guys and gals have, have 40, 50, 60 pair of shoes. And yet, the Bible says take no thought for what you're going to wear. Take no thought for what you're going to eat. You know, when was the last time you truly had to really anticipate and worry and, and, and really grind over the issue of whether or not you're going to eat? See, that's when you can worry. The couple, I mean, the, the people that he was speaking to in this time frame, they were worried not what they were going to eat, but rather would they eat. We don't worry like that. There's people that, that come by our office almost weekly. And they do. They worry about what it is they're going to eat. I have no food in my home. Every single week, I want you to know that we have a benevolence outreach ministry at Northridge Church. We help people every single week, every single day almost, people coming in needing help. He says, take no thought for what you'll wear. Take no thought for what you'll eat. In fact, don't take thought for where you lay your head down. There was a study done. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe you saw it. That basically... It kind of reduced all of the earth and all of the population down to just 10 people. Has anybody ever seen that before? It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. You can probably find it on YouTube. And it basically reduces it down that if you have a house with four walls, not mentioning indoor plumbing, not mentioning uh, 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 electricity or anything, just a house with a roof over your head, you're more wealthy than 99% of the world's population. 
that when this was written, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people that did not have a place to lay their head. In fact, Jesus himself, the Bible said, he never had a place to call home. This is the foxes, they have their holes, and, and all the other animals, they have their dens, and, and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So I, I want you to get your head around really what was going on and unfolding in the Scripture when he says, take no thought for what you'll wear, take no thought for what you'll eat, take no thought for where you should call home. In fact, if you really want to reduce it down to the irreducible principle of what he was saying, take no thought even for your life. In the Matthew chapter 6, Verse 33 says, but, everybody say but, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these other things. What are these other things? Because we quote the scripture, but do we really understand categorically what that means? Here's what I believe it means. I believe it means he's going to take care of what you're going to eat. I believe it means he's going to take care of what you're going to wear. I believe it means, he's gonna, I mean, look at the children of Israel. For 40 years, they, they went through. They never lost their shoes. They never lost their clothing. They never changed clothes. That is a God of provision. That he could take care of even things that are impossible. I wonder if anybody in here besides me ever seen God move in impossible situations. I sure have. Impossible. It's not possible. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through the fiery furnace and come out not even smelling of smoke. It's not possible. Yet it's possible with God. But seek you first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these other things. Guess what? They're going to be added to you. And then he goes on to say, take no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow uh, takes thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Listen, we got enough to worry about just between now and, and we laying our head down. Amen? Then worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to... Numbers chapter 23, Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, our text real quickly tonight. I'm not going to be long, but I want you to put your head around this. And if you don't know where Numbers at, it's at the beginning of the Bible, fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Moses, writer of the first five books, or the Pentateuch, or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And as he wrote this, I love the simplicity of this verse. Listen to what it says. God is not a man that he should lie. Definite implication there that men have a tendency to lie, right? Fabricate, to inflate, to manipulate things. But listen to what he says. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He had said, and he, sh- and, and he shall, and shall he not do it? Question mark. So say, he has said it. Can't we count on the fact that he's going to do it? And I love this, this last part. Or he hath spoken, and shall he not make it good? I want you to know tonight, God's going to make it good. I want you to pray with me, if you will. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray tonight that we will unpackage this simple yet profound message as we know it because your word is coming forth and it will not return unto you void. Change our lives tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, hallelujah. That's a mouthful, isn't it? You need to work on that one. I think some of us see uh, God in, his, in our prayer life and his blessings as he's a genie in a bottle. And all we can do is go to him three times. It's kind of like the, the genie and the Aladdin lamp, and you go, you can only get three wishes, and that's it. You better really think about what it is that you're going to ask him for because you only get three. What would, you, what would you do if you could only get three prayers that you would have answered? What, what would they be? Would it be, give me a million dollars? Think about it for a minute. Would it be, give me the house with all the, let me tell you something. I know people that have more money than they know what to do with, and they're absolutely and utterly miserable. You know what that tells me? 
that there are finer things in life, like people's lives, people's souls, relationships, your children, your marriage, your family, a personal, personal walk with Christ. But, but I want to give you some good news here tonight. God is not like a genie. There's not three wishes and three only. We can come to him every single day. Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. We can come to him hundreds of thousands of times a day. If we can utter up the energy and muster up the energy, we can go before God. And he never, ever, ever looks at you like, seriously, you again? In fact, the truth of the matter is it delights the father when his children go to him in prayer. Yet we are like the often, oftentimes the 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 advice we give, okay, now we've done all we can do. There's nothing left we can do but pray. No, no, no. Prayer should be the first point of contact in everything that you do. Pray before you purchase a vehicle. Amen? Pray before you purchase a home. Pray before you, listen to me, pray before you get in a relationship. Pray before you get out of one. Pray before you go to a church. Pray before you leave one. And if you don't get an answer from God, that is your answer. Be still and know that He is God. Don't, you don't go through the life just through the happenstance and the ebb and flow of, hey, that person offended me. Listen, stick around. You will constantly get offended in life. But nobody told you, nobody told me that we were going to live this life in Christ and not be offended. The reality is, as Jesus told us over and over and over again, you will be an offense to this world. It's a mystery to the world. It's foolishness. Yet it's the power unto salvation for those who believe. You are offensive by walking with Christ. You're going to offend people in this world. It blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind that there are people holding up a sign saying protect the children and then the same people are holding up a sign the next day saying it's okay to to abort. That's offensive to me. But check it out. I'm thankful that God is not like a vending machine that I can put, keep putting a quarter in, and once that line's empty, it's empty. No, no, no. I can keep going to God with the same thing over and over and over and over again until I get an answer. Having said all of that, I want to give you three very quick points to this message entitled, God Will Do It Again. First thing that we can build this upon, and just want to lay all this by, by way of preface, is before I get to this first point, I want you to know that God in his provenient grace and his provision, has, hear me, has already made a way for that thing you're believing him for today. He's already, according to his riches and glory, he already has an answer before you ever ask the question. He has an end before the beginning starts. That don't cost you anything. That wasn't even part of the message. God just gave me that, okay? So write that down. It's awesome. Number one, if you're taking notes, first I want us to realize tonight in the context of he will do it again, is first realize the obvious, we must realize he's already done it. Aren't you glad that he's already completed the work? If that does not excite you, listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, and I think we're going to throw this up there. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I love that. Not H-O, but W-H-O, fully, truly. some texts say. And I pray, God, for your whole spirit. I love that. I love Paul's 
challenge to the church at Thessalonica. That he's saying he, he will do what? That he will sanctify you fully, wholly, in all of your entirety. But watch this. In his child, I pray for God in your whole spirit. Here, here's why I say that's encouraging to me. It's because he's really saying, I want you to get the fullness of God. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of God. It's kind of like that person jump all in, man. I love what it says in, in, in uh, I think it's in Romans Chapter 11, verses 33, 35, it says, oh, how, how vast and how deep is the Father. That there's a depth and a gravity to God that you and I cannot fathom. But he wants to be known. He wants you to understand him. He wants you to, to have an open door into his glory, into his vastness. He's made it available through the word. Listen to what it says. He says, I pray your whole spirit, soul and body. We are, by the way, just as a caveat to that, we are, we are known as a trichotomy. It's a fancy word for saying we have three parts just like God. We were created in his likeness and in his image. He being three in one, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing in their own attributes yet coexisting as one. It, it blows the mind of our finite wonderings to know how God can be one God yet active in three distinctive persons, creatively Elohim God, redemptively Jesus Christ God, and the comforting aspect in the Holy Spirit God. But yet, it really isn't that complicated. When you, you see me today, I can, I can be in, in many more fashions than that. I'm, I'm Mark, the son of Jennifer and Bill Pritchett, and I have an active role still there with my mother. I'm still to honor my mother as, as the, it would please to the Lord. I am Stephanie's husband. I am, I am to, to, to treat her with honor and respect and to love her as Christ loved the church. That's my role as a husband. Completely different love. And you're going to see that next week, that there are different kinds of love for each people. And we have to understand that in order to love our wife that way. I'm also Tyler and Ashley's uh, uh, father. I love them in that way, and I struck them and nurture them and admonition of the Lord. And I have a, a different role to them. And, hey, I'm also David's friend, and I'm Tony's friend, and I'm Doug's friend, and, and, I, and I'm Ryan's friend, and so forth and so on, and hopefully I'm your friend tonight. And you know what? I have a role there. I'm a pastor. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. I'm a grandfather. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I have all these different roles, but I'm but one person. It's not really not that hard to understand. But why do I say that? It's because we're a trichotomy. We're a body. We have this flesh, this mortality that exists that people see that hurts, that turns gray, turns loose. Things start to fall and droop and all kind of crazy stuff happen in this body. But watch this. I, it, that's my body. Then I got this soul. I got this soul that's going to live forever. That's the seed of my emotions. And then I got this spirit that's connected to God. God is in spirit, and he who worships him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. You don't just worship him with your body. You know, sometimes I get a little frustrated. People say, man, why don't you ever lift your hands up? Let me tell you what's more important is that my spirit is connected to him and his to mine. It's more important than anything you could do physically. You can fool people physically, but you can't fool people spiritually. Because when you're connected to God spiritually, the outflow of your life will reflect God in you. That can't be manufactured. Listen to what he says. He says that, that, that I pray that God through your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. I love this. Blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Here's the verse. This is the beautiful part. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. I love that, man. You need to write that on the, on the banner of your heart this week. Faithful is he who calls you who will also do it. 
know what that means? What he's called you to do, he's going to do through you. Through provenient grace, through provision. What is provision? In a simple term, provenient and provision means that God has taken forethought for what he has called you to do. How cool would it be for God to call you as a contractor to go build a house and you show up, tool belt in hand, skill saw, frame and square, speed square, a chalk box, and all your, all your uh, subcontractors, and you show up and you get there and you go, it's already built. That's provision. All you had to do was show up. You see, God has already taken thought, forethought for everything in our life. And I love this. This doing it, faithful as he will also do it, his doing it has left no stone unturned. That when he hung on the cross, and this, if you can talk about this and it not move you, you really need to read the passion account of the cross. If it will help you to see it physically, go rent the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and see the urgency. See the blatant disregard for the humanity of Jesus of Nazareth. See the the brutality. See the crucifixion. See all that unfolded, and yet all the while, he knew before he framed the world, he would endure that. And one of the most beautiful things he ever said from the cross in the original tongue was to tell us, die which literally means paid in full. In the tax receipts of the day, archaeologists have found tax receipts of the day from during the first century, second, third century, where uh, tax bills would be paid. If you want to stu- do a study of wh- why the world was so against the tax collectors of the day, they weren't like likened to the IRS agents. They were grotesque. They were barbaric. They were oftentimes human traffickers. There were so many more things that they were the center points of everything evil. And yet, Taxes, what would happen is there would be a tax collector that would rise up and he would go in and he would ask for taxes to be paid and then somebody would pay their taxes at every crumb they could muster up and they would pay their taxes and then along would come another one who was a manipulator and, and, a, and a fraud and he would say, you had not paid your taxes. You know what all they had to do? All they had to do was issue that new tax collector a copy of their tax receipt that had stamped on it the word to telestai. You know what it, you know what it meant? The debt has been settled. Paid in full. Do you know that's the same word Jesus said when he said, it is finished? To tell us die. Paid in full. When the enemy comes against you and he tells you you're no good and he tells you you're not saved and he tells you that you're, you're beaten down, he tells you you're a liar, he, all this stuff, you know he tells you that stuff. You know he does. And then watch this. All you got to do is pull out your heart and look at it and say, no, no, no. I have been bought with a price, paid in full. It is finished, settled in heaven forever, sealed until the day of redemption. You can't touch me to all of God's people say amen. He's already done it. We must realize that. Look to your neighbor next to you and say, you just need to know he's already done it. Secondly, real quick, we must realize that he's going to keep on doing it. Psalm 37 and 25 says this, I have been young. I love this. This was in an old song back in the day. I've been young, but I'm older now. Can anybody relate to that? Can I get a witness? I have been young, but I'm older now. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken and his seed begging for bread. Let's go back to what we were talking about. Take no thought for what you'll eat, for you wear, what you're going to lay your head. Listen, we're talking about starvation. 
I'm not talking about you not being able to take your, your kids to, to Red Lobster. And I'm not talking about being able to go to Mickey D's every time you want to go there. And, and I get it. And, and I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you live a life set apart unto God and you live according to his principles and his precepts, you will not starve. He will not forsake you. Sometimes it feels like that your prayers are not getting past the ceiling. But can I tell you something? I'm so thankful today that God's goodness is not predicated on how I feel at any moment. That he's faithful always. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And I'm thankful as the psalmist is declaring, I've been young, but I'm older now. And I, too, have never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread, never once. And even to those people, Tyler, that come by our office, and they don't have much, they're not begging. And you know what we get to do because of God's grace and his provision? He put us downtown. Check this out. Let me, let me just give you this for just a minute, if y'all can work with me here. God saved me October 29th, 1992, after I got home from Desert Storm. I wish I could say I turned over a new leaf and everything went great from then on, but it didn't. A lot of things happened. You navigate through all the troubled waters of everything that went into my life. 2000, God called me to preach. I was in LaGrange. He, I resigned from the military. I went into the ministry. On and on through the years of preaching and doing stuff. Art and I, we, we crossed paths. I mean, all of that over at Christian Fellowship with Al Shackelford. Going to Africa, going here, going to Trinidad. We started Rush, going over to Mountain View. God called me and I fought with God for several years and wrestled with the issue of starting a church and all that say this, to come to this moment and this time in this room for such a time as this to tell you God has taken forethought for you. And it's all part of God's story. And you know what, David? You can do the same thing. Paint the, paint the trail that it's taken for you when you went and bought those Oreos to meet that little girl in line. And you know you didn't need no Oreos, and you bought them anyway just so you could have a little girl, real cute with a ball cap, sit right there and smile on her face and say, I love my man. It's because of God's provision. You must realize that God is not going to forsake you. And, hey, how many of you can just testify at that moment in time when he showed up in the last hour of the last moment of the last potential, everything fits to go. How many of you can say he showed up at the right moment? You may feel like Mary and Martha in John chapter 11. You thought he was four days late. But God had to show you that it was much more profitable than to come out and call the dead back to life rather than to call a sick man back to healing. Sometimes God just lets you get to the end of yourself to show you that he's the God of wonders. God has not abandoned you. Reminds me of a story of a lady who was married to a husband for 49 years. They pulled up into Dairy Queen to get him a Blizzard, and as they pulled up, there was this young couple, just been married, and they were sitting at the at the window, and here this older couple sat. She's sitting over here, her arm up against the window. He's sitting over here, his arm up against the window, and she looks at that couple, and she just gets more frustrated by the minute. This guy's over here. He's got his arm right here, and he's got his arm over the girl, and she's sitting right up under him and everything, and she pecks him on the cheek, and she, she said, I'm just so mad at you right now. She tells her husband. He said, what did I do? She said, that used to be us. Look, look at that couple in front of us. She's over there. I mean, man, they just right up under each other. He looked there. He said, well, I never moved. 
I wonder sometimes do we feel like that. God has never moved. Even if you look into the economy of the world, the earth gets dark on a 24-hour rotation of the earth. The earth gets dark every 12 or so hours. But the sun, S-U-N, never moves, does it? It's the earth that's rotating around the sun as it's spinning. If you will, we have turned our back on the sun, but the sun doesn't really go down, does it, and come up. It hasn't moved. Let, Let me just tell you, this is good. Let me tell you this. In your darkest, darkest moment, God has not changed. You move. You turn your back on the light of the world. He never, ever, ever turned his back on you. His character of immutability disallows him from changing. And if we know he's done it before and we know he's going to keep on doing it, then there's a real good chance we can jump to number three and realize that he will bring it to the completion. He'll do it again. The very fact that God cannot change, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever as John and them guys come back up for just a moment. Listen, if he did it there, he'll do it again. Listen to what it says in Philippians 1.6, and I love this. Being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in me, he will also perform it unto the day of Christ. You know what that, I looked that up. You know what that phrase means? He will keep performing it. He will keep doing it. I had somebody ask me one time, so man, why do I have to go to church every Sunday? Why can't I just go one time, get saved, and just go do my thing? Because his mercies are new every day. And you know what I believe, Chris? Here's what I believe. You know what I believe, Lynn? I believe we are better together, that we glean something when we come in together. You may think, I'm up here preaching, but I'm going to tell you something. When y'all say amen, it, it provokes me. Amen? Man, y'all need to do that more on Sunday. I tell you what, let's blow the minds of the rest of the people on Sunday. Y'all get an inner, inner circle. Let's have a little meeting real quick. We're going to call a little meeting, okay? Next Sunday, I want y'all, every time I say something, I want y'all to shout amen and clap. Stand up and, and start clouting and hooting and hollering. Hey, if you country, just yeehaw. I don't care. Come, come next Sunday. Will y'all do that for me? Come on, if you'll do that, we're going to raise our hand. We're going to provoke this crowd next week, okay? All right, my mother-in-law stood up. Praise God. One person. Amen. My wife said, okay, you just so crazy. <laughs> I'm telling you, though, hear me, hear me. It's true, isn't it? There, there's something that is contagious about your praise. That's why God inhabits the praises of his what? People, not person. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you ever, and I see it with John. Thank God for, for John doing this. I, I see it with him every week. He gets a big old I, I don't even care kind of moment. And listen, he, you see it. He just, he just wants you to desperately get it. I'm going to tell you something. This should not be, where, where's David? David left. Okay, he's not back there. Where'd David go? Oh, he's back in the back. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know where I was going to say. He's gone. He's not there. Oh, I know what it was. I don't know why. And this is our own deficiency. I'll admit this and be be very vulnerable. We need you. On Sunday morning, I need you. I need you to be ready. I need you to come into the house not saying, oh, Lord, bless me. But come into the house saying, I have been blessed. Come into the house shouting. I'm I'm not talking about a bunch of stuff and running from top of the, hey, there you are, Dave. I'm not talking about, I I went to you and you weren't back there. I was going to ask you a question and you weren't back there. 
That's okay. You can buy me dinner. But listen, what if, I don't know if you remember this or not, Stephanie, uh, the guy named Ray preached at our church one time, and I remember him weeping. And he said, what would the church look like on Sunday morning if everyone who come in had already spent time with God before they got there? They had already had their moment of worship. They had already had their moment of the Word of God. And the preacher stood up to preach. And he could not even open his mouth. Because the reverse had happened. And he stood on the stage in awe of you and the Christ in you. What would happen? Hey, take this challenge next week. But it ain't going to work if just one of you do it. It's just going to look weird. Okay, so if one person's up there just, woo, everybody's going to be like, okay, you're not coming back next week. So if one does it, man, you can't, you can't leave a brother hanging, okay? So y'all get out tonight. Y'all meet when we're done. Y'all hang out in the building a little while. Y'all decide who's going to be that first person that's going to take the dip. The rest of y'all got to come alongside of it. To fully grasp this idea that God did it, he'll do it again. We must first understand. You never did anything good in and of yourself. learned so much over the last three years about me most humbling thing in the world is to know that God lets me stand in front of you every week but yet he doesn't need me even one week that if today I said alright guys I'm out and I got my wife and we walked out and we went down the road do you know that this church wouldn't miss a beat because this is God's house did not need Moses when he told him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Could God not have done that himself? But he allowed Moses to be a part of the story. What was Moses' retort? It's the same retort that many of you have every single week when God provokes you and prompts you to do something. You know what he said? He said, but I'm not eloquent of speech. He was a stammerer. He stuttered. And God said, okay, cool, not a problem. We'll, we'll let Aaron come along with you. Look through Scripture. You, you will not find one time where Aaron spoke for Moses. You know why? Because what God was saying, God said, I don't need your astounding, waxing, eloquent words, Moses. I'm not asking you to come to me equipped with all the words to say. I'm asking you to come empty and let me equip you. We can look back and survey our lives and say, hey, he's done it once. He's done it. If nothing else, he did it on the cross. He did it when he redeemed me. And if he did nothing else, that alone would suffice for me to give him honor and glory to the day that I die. But boy, oh boy, he's done more than that. He saved my family. He saved my children. He's brought me beautiful grandchildren. He's put me in a wonderful church. He's gave me friends, people that love me, that challenge me, that hold me accountable. He, he gave me a wife that is above anything I could have ever asked for or deserved. My best friend and one that helps me to be a better person. And you know what? And it goes on and on and on and on and on that I could just never stop giving him honor and praise. And you know what? He did it once. He's doing it now. And bless God, he will. He'll do it again. James 1.16, I'm almost done. He says this, don't be deceived. 
Beloved brothers and sisters, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Check it out. He cannot change. When he parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel at the hand of Moses, his predecessor came behind him in the name of Joshua, which means possessor or the Lord of salvation. He would possess, begin to possess that which God gave him. When he got to the, to the River Jordan, guess what? He could stand on what had already happened, and he did it again. When Elijah went into the, uh, to, the, to the widow's house at a name I can't pronounce, we'll just call it Malt, Georgia. I don't remember the name of the place, but he, he went down there and he, he, he saw God pr- provide a cruise of oil that pr- provided for her. Then when he in, went into Bethel, you know what he could do? He could say, hey, ma'am, don't freak out, don't panic, because over here in Malk, I saw God do it. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it for you. Oh, and guess what? You know, we talk a lot about the rapture. Is that really going to happen? Well, guess what? Ask Enoch, because the Bible says Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. And then, oh, if that's not enough, then ask Elijah, because you know what Elijah was doing? He was standing with God, and God called a chariot of fire to call him up into heaven. The first Thessalonians chapter 4 said he did it there with Enoch. He did it with Elijah. He's going to do it with his church. And I love this. I love this one. This one's the one that's going to set you free tonight. Guess what? When he advented, when he came on this earth, that's called his first coming. Guess what? He's coming back. He's going to do that again as well. He's going to step on the very same place that he stepped on when he came the first time, the Mount of Olives. And he's going to split that mountain wide open. And guess what? He's going to settle the dead on the earth. But bless God, because what I saw with Enoch, what I saw with Elijah, I'll already be with him. And so shall I ever be with the Lord. Hey, God's already done it for you. You can give Him praise for that in your heart. He's still doing it for you. He's sustaining your life. And guess what? I don't care what you're up against tonight. I don't care how far down you feel you are, how much your back is against the wall. He'll do it again. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. So thankful tonight that I serve a God that doesn't change with the winds of change. I'm so thankful tonight that God doesn't look at me and get frustrated and change the relationship that I have with Him, which is perfect, at least on His end. And I'm thankful tonight for a church that's just believing in a God who will do it again. We're going to see something profound. I'm believing that there's been a great awakening, not one, not two, but three. You know what I'm believing? There's going to be another great awakening, and we're going to see it. It's going to happen. How many of you can say, Mark, I know that I know that I know that I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm born again. Lift your hand all over the room. Lift it up high. Praise God. As far as I see, everyone, in the sound of my voice, is a child of God. Maybe you're watching by television tonight. Maybe you're watching on your, on your iPhone or something. I want you to know that God can save you. You've got to confess your sin before God. You've got to call upon Him. You've got to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's you tonight, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been through. And you know what? God doesn't either. He loves you right where you are. He wants to redeem you tonight. So if you're out there listening or watching, maybe the dates have changed. And this is a year down the road. God can still save you. The same power that's here with us tonight is there in your home tonight. So call upon his name. He'll save you and he'll redeem you and it'll change your life. But here's what I want to know in this room. How many of you are ready to see him do it again? Whatever it may be, just lift your hand up and say, God, I'm ready for you to do it again. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
I'm going to ask you to come and find yourself a place right either where you are on the altar. They're going to sing. I want you to come if God has spoken to you in some kind of way and you just want to shake my hand. There's something powerful about God's people getting up and taking a walk for the glory of God. So I'm going to challenge you to do that tonight while they sing. Just come and shake my hand. Just come and pray on the altar. On the count of three, y'all stand. One, two, three, y'all stand.